Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. So what is the Battery Technology Podcast? Well, it's a fortnightly, in-depth exploration of all things battery, focusing on the technology challenges, opportunities and risks across the whole battery supply chain. It's a podcast for both those in the industry and for those seeking to understand the very unique challenges faced by a very unique sector. Every two weeks, we'll be joined by a guest to discuss the specific aspect of the industry, providing insights from across this fascinating and rapidly advancing market. And I'll be your host, Ken Davis. And what a great time to be launching a battery technology podcast. It's an industry in the eye of a transformational storm at the very epicenter of a global technology platform shift. And that leads to unparalleled innovation, huge growth potential, and for the winners, significant rewards. But equally, it's not a place for the risk averse. Significant risks, challenges, technological obstacles all exist and they're all being played out in a hot geopolitical environment. So hopefully over the next decade, this podcast will be a companion to that journey. But first, let's talk numbers and exactly what that growth curve is likely to look like over the course of the next few years. From my research, projected growth rates vary, but they agree on one thing. It's upwards and rapidly. There seems to be general agreement that annual growth rates of well above 30% will be the norm across the value chain, from mineral exploration to refining to battery cell manufacture to recycling. Demand for lithium-ion batteries will grow from around 700 gigawatt hours annually today to around 5 terawatt hours by 2030, a seven-fold increase. The vast majority of that demand being driven by the growth in the use of electric vehicles. Politically, that's settled. The regulatory shift has happened. The virtual elimination of the internal combustion engine in future car design and the increasing customer adoption rates. They map out the journey very clearly. We are still at the start of a revolution, but that revolution will provide huge revenue generating opportunities from mining to refining to cell manufacturing to recycling, projected to amass to around 500 billion additional revenue dollars by 2030. So if you're in the battery technology space, it's a very interesting time to be alive. And this podcast will cover all of the key issues, both the ones we know about and those that are still to develop. Because one thing is for certain, This is a very fast-moving and changing industry. But we know we're going to be covering things like the geopolitics of the global battery industry, the challenges of dealing with industrial scale-up on the scale that we're going to have to, the competing technologies, the creation of gigafactories, the tendency and trend towards localization of the supply chain, managing shortage shortage of skilled labour, shortage of manufacturing equipment, the challenge of securing investment, 
the environmental, social and governance challenges that this industry faces may be like no other. The deep chemistry of anodes, cathodes, electrolytes and casing design. And where do you find the people for the 20 million jobs that this industry will create in the next seven years? There's a lot to talk about and every two weeks we'll be doing exactly that. So as we begin our journey it seems appropriate to start out at a macro level talking about some of the major opportunities and challenges that the industry faces. And to help me through this, I'm joined by John Shepard of Batteries International. The Battery Technology Podcast is brought to you by 2030 Net Zero Limited, part of the organisation that also brings you the Battery Tech Expo at Silverstone in the UK, Gothenburg in Sweden and Prague in the Czech Republic. And very soon, we'll be announcing plans for our US event in 2024. So watch this space. You can find out all about those events in the show notes, together with details of how to reach us if you would like to participate in future episodes of the podcast. Well, I am delighted to be joined by John Shepard of Batteries International. Now, Batteries International have been serving the battery industry for decades. So there's no one really better to provide a macro overview of the industry, I think, than John. So, John, welcome. And um, it be interesting for me to get a, a sense of Batteries International and, and the kind of role you play in the industry. Sure. Yes. Well, well, thank you very much. Um, actually, I'm the, the the new kid on the block. I was uh, I was only appointed the editor last year. But of course, the, the magazine's been around for more than 30 years, started by my now editor-in-chief, Mike Halls. Sometimes it's the voice of the industry. We certainly reflect what's going on in the industry and not just through, we have Batteries International magazine. Uh, we have a separate magazine, Energy Storage Journal. They're both uh, international quarterlies. Um, but of course, along the way, we produce various supplements and uh, we're, we're often at trade shows. Uh, we even do a bit of good old-fashioned journalism and actually report on the spot and bring out newspapers uh, during some of these major events, which uh, probably accounts for me having lost most of my my hair. So yeah, we're we're very much out there. We the um, we're particularly good relations with the industry. Um, they'll talk to us about the developments. They they trust us in sharing information. We're not averse to you know criticizing when it comes to that and shining a light on areas and asking uh, the the you know the industry. Okay, what are you doing about this? How do you tend to tackle this? Yeah, so it's nice to pause for a, a few minutes and reflect with you. Well, and that's what I'm going to be asking you to do because um, obviously this is a an industry that's um, in some ways in its infancy. It's it's still the gold rush. People are still plotting out their particular positions in the industry, and there's a huge amount of growth foreseen. So I'm interested to get your thoughts, and you can look at this maybe in a slightly longer term perspective in terms of how the battery industry has developed and how you see the battery in, in industry developing. Uh, over the course of the next five or ten years, sure. I mean, it's interesting. You, I think you use the phrase "gold rush." That's uh, yeah, that's not a bad that's not a bad analogy. I, 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 I would say. I mean, certainly, obviously, battery technology has been around a hell of a long time, but of late, 
And I think particularly with um, concerns about uh, yeah, energy security and that that's really come to the fore, of course, uh, over the last year or so with the uh, with the situation in Eastern Europe and, and, and the war between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, energy security, um, but not just that. Also, uh, a keenness to have sustainable energy supplies. Um, and, and clean energy, you often use the word, and and, and batteries are, are very much at the heart of that. But yes, it's almost as if they've been rediscovered, particularly perhaps by the um, some of the political leaders and whatever who who need to work quickly to make sure people's lights stay on, but they do so, you know, effectively. Um, and and so yes, it's it, they very much come to the come to the fore. Uh, I was it was I was just going through some notes before we 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 spoke, and I. It's only been um, it's only been a couple of months ago we we covered one particular report where it was talking about long duration um, energy energy storage, and, and there this was a report recently by Wood Mackenzie, one of the uh, leading analytical organisations on that, and they were saying that, that that we need to install something like fifty seven gigawatts of long duration energy storage capacity. That's the sort of commitment if it goes ahead that co- uh, companies and governments have made. Um, over the coming years, um, but that would be three times the capacity that was deployed last year. So mm. it gives you an idea just how much the uh, the realization is there that you need this technology. But of course, it's getting to that point. Then, which technology do you choose? Uh, how, how do you go about doing that? Where are the investors coming from? Um, so you've got this very much a mix uh, that you have to deal with. Um, and there are the solutions out there, but often it's it's finding the you know the right product for the for, for, for the task. There's a range of different solutions, and it's a fairly fluid situation because new solutions are developing all the time. Uh, clearly, we're we're you know, we're moving from you know essentially a lead-based battery scenario to a lithium-ion-based battery scenario, and we'll probably be uh, looking at other. Uh, elemental iron uh, scenarios uh, somewhere down the track. But I just wanted to come back to a point you made there about the the political dimension to this. Because one of the interesting nuances of any industry, I think, where you see this level of growth in a technology in which the world depends, politically means there's pressure at a geopolitical level in terms of where the investment is taking place. So I'm interested in your view on that and the kind of things which you see happening around the world politically that talk to this whole issue of uh, investment and and battery development. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one of the best areas to look at perhaps at the moment is the is the European Union, uh, not least because of the size of the block and and. Yeah. You're in effect, you're supposed to have now a group of countries that act as one and work together. Um, uh, and, and of course, the uh, batteries were identified um, a, a while back. In, in fact, the EU uh, has got some very, very ambitious plans for what they call these gigafactories yep. um, set across the continent, um, building their own batteries, largely uh, lithium. Yes, that, that that's true. Um, and aimed at um, obviously providing the batteries for uh, electric vehicles and energy storage. But even they've found that it's one thing to set out this, you know, this view on paper and 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 where, where you see where you see it heading, but it's actually another thing when when it comes to doing that in practice. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll give you an idea on that. For example, the 
a few years back, the, the EU set up what's called the European Battery Alliance. Yeah. Now, this was set up by the, he's still one of the vice presidents of the commission, Maros Sefcovic, um, but he's very also known as the battery czar, if you like, and very keen and, and some great ideas and very dynamic about wanting to move this forward. Um, but slowly there became a realisation that it's, it's, it's easier said than done. You need money, you need investment, you need political direction. And only last December... Uh, the Battery Alliance, the European Battery Alliance, which of course is is is, is friendly, it's related to the to the European Commission. They were warning that that they, there were serious problems ahead. They were saying that they needed a package of something like a hundred billion euros um, just to keep the plans on track. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and when you think that that's on top of whatever has already been put into. Uh, projects that 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 sort of hit people as as quite a shock. Mm. Um, now, largely, that's been driven by concern that the Chinese and and, and Asia, uh, and now more recently the US, has basically moved faster to approve projects and to get projects off the ground, particularly gigafactories and battery cell manufacturing and, and the supply chain. The worry was that the, these other regions, if you like, will move faster. Uh, and the EU has been a bit sluggish, a bit slow. Uh -huh. um, and so very much this was, a, if you like, a call to action to try and do something. I mean, for example, the, the, the Alliance talked about uh, problems with permit delays. Uh, they needed more training. And it was as if the you'd got the overall picture of this bright, new, shiny battery network that was going to be built in Europe. Um, but it was almost as if the foundations hadn't been perhaps really thought about or prepared. And of course, with the energy crisis and uh, coming out of COVID and supply chains being hit because of various reasons, um, all of these uh, th these problems, if you like, came came to a head. I mean, it's only we reported only recently the um, the, the CEO of Umicore. Uh, he was at, he, he's also spoke at the he's a member of the, the Battery Alliance's company, and he was saying that look, in Canada it takes about nine months to. Uh, to agree on, you know, and get the permit for setting up a, an equivalent battery materials plant, whereas in the EU it could be double that amount mm. of time. Um, so therefore, how can you commit to that and encourage investors to come in on that when they know they could perhaps go elsewhere and even be given a sweetener on top in the terms of tax breaks and so on? So that's just one what um, one area, uh, and and the, the 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 EU seems to have. Uh, it, it seems to have been a, a little bit stickier, if you like, for them than, than, than others at the moment. Um, they're trying to get out of that. But the way it's heading now is, and you talked about geopolitical impact, uh, you've got this whole Gigafactory's ambition now. It's actually become a bit of a political football. For example, in January, you had Ursula von der Leyen, the President's Commission, feeling the need to, to warn the US and China that she too could act tough if there's unfair trade practices. Um, but of course, you've got people in the industry who say, well, is it unfair to think ahead and pump money into something and do it well? And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a dilemma right now. And we talked about this being the gold rush. And, and one of the things that uh, was, a, I guess, a golden rule in the gold rush is you need to stake your claim early and you need to move quickly. Because if you, uh, if you wait, uh, somebody else will have done it before you. Strategically, the US and China, they, they seem to be able to move quickly when they need to, when they've determined politically 
that that's the direction they need to move in. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting it's point. A, it's perhaps worth throwing in as well, of course. So you, you say, well, China feels you know relatively strong. Um, the the irony here is, of course, the EU has has been helping and has been handing out subsidies and so on, but of course, uh, one of those projects, particularly um, one of the big Chinese uh, battery manufacturers, CATL, um, electric vehicle uh, and batteries and and energy storage, they not too long ago opened their first uh, overseas plant in Germany, yep. um, in conjunction with partners there. But you've got this very strange juxtaposition now where you're worried about the, the what the EU would say is a threat from Asia. Yeah, you've got an Asian firm that's taken the trouble to invest in the EU and perhaps uh, and, and benefit from you know local tax breaks and state aid and whatever. Um, but at the same time, you're criticizing criticizing them for perhaps uh, threatening too much competition, um, and that's not meant to be derogatory to our Chinese friends. I mean, they, they've thought ahead. They saw there was a need for a European base. They wanted partnerships. The EU wanted partnerships, but suddenly they sort of want partnerships, but they're not really sure. Do they want a complete partnership? Uh, and of course, you've got European firms uh, over in over in China, you know, with Chinese partners. So it's a global picture, and they they it, it, you know when they start fighting and talking about trade wars and whatever, that's probably only going to slow the whole thing down uh, even more extending the the political aspect the geopolitical aspect of it of course the the industry is extraordinarily dependent on raw materials and the raw materials aren't equally distributed around the world there are certain countries with a with a competitive advantage in terms of geologically what they have at their disposal so i'm interested before we move on, just to kind of explore the geopolitics of materials as well and and how you see that playing out in the context of the whole of this industry. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a big theme. And we, we were chatting uh, just before. And in many ways, uh, it's it's almost an Achilles heel for for, for, for some of the uh, companies involved, particularly when you're talking in terms of um, lithium batteries or lithium related technology. Um, I mean, give you an example there. If you're needing uh, raw materials such as cobalt uh, for, from, uh, for, for, from Africa and, and whatever, it started to, the, particularly the sustainability issue, yeah. uh, it's quite right that that shone a light on, okay, where are we getting the materials from? Are we sending uh, young children down holes in the ground to dig that material up? Um, even if you accepted that that's got to happen, and of course nobody nobody does, and that, and and there's 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 really strong moves across the industry to try and uh, right that. Even if you accept that, then you've got to transport the material or process it. What then are the emissions involved in processing that material? And suddenly these, uh, and I'm I'm a fan, of course, of of, of clean energy transport, and we we all are. But when you suddenly think, hold on, these shiny EVs running around. Um, with the battery in them, with, with all the material it's taken to, to, to get to that point, uh, the gloss wears off a little bit. Yeah. Um, you've then got the issue, of course, where, to our knowledge, um, even the actual recycling of, of, of lithium and so on, lithium batteries, um, a number of companies yet involved in that and starting on that, um, but it's still very much in its in its infancy, that technology, and there's still a lot of 
uh, work being done there and what okay you can get out xyz materials that can be reused again but what you do with the the black mass as they call it what you do with the rubbish that's you know it's left behind there's companies working on how they can process that can they dispose of it safely we, i was at a conference only last year where you had leading analysts saying one of the problems at the moment is you'll get some countries that simply prefer to pack it up and send it off to another country to, to deal with export um, the problems Exactly. So you've got the, you know, if this was uh, the food chain and, and you were eating a sandwich uh, that you'd bought at your local shop or your your, your local deli, uh, the, the labels and whatever should give you a pretty good idea of where all the elements of that sandwich started up. And you know that it was prepared in a healthy way and safe way and whatever. Um, that, that can't be said for a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the batteries that have been used in, in, in what they call new, new energy vehicles, China likes to call them. Um, that's not to say that efforts aren't being done there. I mean, you've got you've got companies that are working very hard uh, to look at the sustainability chain and using, I think, um, what they call their blockchains to trace uh, so they can actually trace supplies and make sure it's safe. On the other hand, of course, uh, what should be noted is that pretty much all, not not all, but um, most of the electric vehicles are on the roads today, still need a lead battery in them. Now, lead is sort of regarded, uh, you, you said earlier, or perhaps the move away from lead. Well, actually, it's far it's far from it. Most okay. of these still need a lead battery to power the what they call the comfort facilities, the lights, the heaters, you know, your radio and whatever. Oh, yeah. um, the, the lead recycling record, uh, certainly in the US, is close to 100%. Uh, and it can be done so safely. It can be uh, there's there's uh, you, you'll hear the analogy quite often that the chances are that the lead battery in your car um, probably contains some lead that was in your grandfather's car or your great grandfather's car um, because the recycling is that good. So the, the the lead industry, which has perhaps been a little bit maligned in the past, um, has actually come into its own a bit more now, and is actually you know saying, well, the lithium recyclers could learn a lot from 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 lead. Um, and, and I think that's a point worth worth making. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So we we uh, we write off the lead battery industry at our peril. It sounds like very very much. Yeah. So just in terms of where we go from here, because obviously there's a huge amount of talk, huge amount of investments in terms of the lithium ion technologies, but these things tend to be fairly fluid. Uh, there's other yeah. technologies further down the track. Obviously, we're moving for safety reasons, I guess, towards kind of solid state batteries. But we're also looking at other elements, sodium ions, for example, in terms of the next generation of this type of rechargeable battery, uh, for particularly for electric vehicles and things. So I'm interested in your view in terms of where we're headed, in terms of if we were to have this conversation in five years' time, what would we be talking about then in terms of the kind of emergent technologies? Well, if I if I knew that, I'd probably be a very rich man. <laughs> and, and it, it's a fast change. It's a fast changing picture, of course. And and even some of the ne you know the next generation technologies they're talking about, um, they they already say now. Well, uh, we've got to think probably beyond lithium. Um, uh, okay, but then 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 what does then what does that involve? Um, will it you, you know? So there's there there is work underway on that. The, the, the investment in, in, a, in a great deal of research is there. I mean, we, we cover some of this. Um, flow batteries have come back into to, to their own. They're, they're producing uh, very... We, we did a, a big report recently on, on how uh, the, the economic costs of, of, of them are stack, uh, could, could be stacking up. 
Um, lithium will probably be, a, be around for a while yet, of course. Although it's one point in making that, that um, whatever batteries you, particularly if you're talking about putting them in a car, um, you've got a hell of a lot of countries that don't have the infrastructure in place for people to charge them. Um, it's okay if you had a big house and you've got a driveway and, and, and an electric point there. But, um, for example, in, in, in the UK, um, uh, pulling up at a street and hoping that you can plug in somewhere and, and, and charge it, whatever the technology is under the bonnet or under the hood, as our, as our American friends would say, that's also got to be a thought as well, the actual infrastructure issue. 100%. So um, these things probably need to be looked at as a, as a whole. And indeed, there, there is that work going underway. Um, but again, I take you back to the lead. And we're very lead friendly, I have to say, st still. Um, there's a hell of a lot of work being done there, particularly in the US with organizations like the uh, Consortium for Battery Innovation, where they're actually working with some of the national laboratories on next generation uh, advanced lead technologies, smaller, um, um, faster, using less materials and so on. So uh -huh. who can say, I think lead would certainly be be be, uh, be there, but really as to what will be in the mix, um, I couldn't say. What would be interesting is there's a lot of work now being done on hybrid uh, batteries. So you might have, for example, uh, an energy storage system um, being used as backup power as a hospital or as a factory or something. Um, and the actual system itself might be a mix of batteries. It might be lithium plus lead uh, plus nickel. There's work being done on, on those as well. Um, and that would that would appear to make sense. And obviously, it would depend on on, on the uh, the circumstances of the situation. I would I wouldn't like to uh, make a rash prediction here <laughs> and now. Um, what do you think? Well, one of the things I do know is that. Uh, in five years' time, 2028, we'll be an awful lot closer to 2030. And there's been some enormous targets and objectives set for where we need to be by 2030. And I'm interested what you think the major challenges are to achieving the kind of goals, the kind of net zero goals that politically have been determined that this is where we need to get to. You know, what do you think are the things that are going to hinder the industry's ability to achieve those goals? I think certainly the the investment is is there. Um, so I don't think that would be, if you like, a, a, a problem. The, um, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies out there, special purpose vehicles. Uh, they're, they're, they're called a company that would be waiting and ready to invest in a, in a particular product. And there's been a lot of movement in there in terms of supporting uh, battery technologies and battery companies. So I think certainly the finance is there. Um, that the key thing will be um, uh, policy and political leadership. Um, I, I used to work in the, 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 the nuclear industry uh, back, and many of the many of the problems that they faced are seeing the batteries now. For example, what do we do with the? Well, we can't do anything with the nuclear waste. Well, well you can. I mean, uh, um, it, it, Finland has a has a, a deep geological repository. Somebody else uh, wants it so that they can. Uh, bring it the waste back out and turn it into fuel again when the technology is there. But that required a political and a policy decision. So you've got these brains in the industry and you've got, you know, highly skilled manufacturers and, 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 and technicians. But if they haven't got the direction to go ahead and build a factory or, or, or work on a particular project, um, then, then it, it can't move ahead. So I, I think I think it will really need um from from today onwards uh, perhaps even a new generation of policymakers and whatever who will have grown up 
now knowing that we need to we need to move away from uh, fossil fuels wherever we can we need to we need a clean air environment but we still want the luxuries of moving around and and, and keeping the lights on and using our our gadgets and so it'll probably take a new generation to say okay what building blocks can we put in place to let these guys build the factories they need um, get the materials they need um, improve on recycling and so on. Um, I, I would say it's probably going to be more of a policy and political um, hurdle to overcome, um, evidenced by what we were talking about earlier with, with the EU. I mean, even in China, where you have five-year plans and whatever, um, they, 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 they set out what to do. And of course, it's probably easier in certain parts of the world to take decisions when, uh, when there's a different... Um, process in, in in place for uh, for making those decisions but um I, I would I would think that's probably going to be the key thing the US for example has shown a great deal of leadership at the moment particularly in this sector they've uh, last year the, the administration introduced this inflation reduction act provides mm-hmm. billions of mm-hmm. dollars of support for companies even to look for where possible to get the raw materials in in the US or in North America. And, and to work with what they deem friendly countries on that. Um, so you've seen a lot of leadership there. And that's why, going back to what we were talking about at the start, there's been this fear that um, investment might seep away parts of the world like that, where there is a lot more direction and more money. I mean, for example, only only, only recently, I think it was, uh, we, we, we covered a report from, what is it, Transport and the Environment. It's a sort of clean transport group um, for Europe. Um, and, and they were saying, really, now Europe has been, if you like, caught in the crossfire between between the US and China, but they, they need to pick up the pace. Interesting. So, I mean, it's natural that investment and money follows leadership. If investors believe things will be moving quicker in a particular geopolitical region, it's only sensible that that's where that money will flow to. I mean, that's that's always the case. Well, that's been really, really interesting. And I guess we should put it to a, to a conclusion. But I guess the question... I would ask you, because you know the industry so well, is are you optimistic about the industry in the sense of meeting the kind of goals and objectives that the industry has set itself? Do you believe that essentially the, the majority of these issues will get resolved in the course of the next few years? Yeah, Yes, I do uh, broadly. And I certainly think that the solutions are out there. When you when you meet the industry leaders and and the the, the, the people who have uh, batteries in their blood, so to say, when you meet them and hear from them, you know there are the solutions. You know they're working on 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 technological advances and so on. Um, and there's that great enthusiasm there, the introduction of new technology, um, but also for uh, sustainability um, and also to provide good, well-paying jobs for people in, in, in what should be a very vibrant industry. So I think those building blocks are in place. Uh, and I go back to say, I think there'll need to be some political perhaps leadership or, or, or a policy level. Um, but no, I'm very, very, opti- very optimistic. And, but I certainly hope that Batteries International and Energy Storage Journal will be covering the scene uh, for, for, for many years to come. And um, be interesting to talk five years time, perhaps when I'm in my dotage about whether we got it all right or whether we missed something along the way. Thanks. I really appreciate that, John. I really appreciate your insights and uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Well, I hope it's been some help and, and thank you too. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted 2030 Net Zero Limited production. For more details of how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes. 
or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com. <laughs>